Now, welcome to another inspiring edition of Sound Insight with Dr. Tom Curran. Good morning. Welcome to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. Hey, did you put your shoes out? Did you get little tangerines or oranges in them? It's the Feast of St. Nicholas, but today we are not going to focus on the Feast of St. Nicholas. Instead, we're going to focus on the theology of Advent. What What is Advent? What is the liturgical season? What What are we are? What What can we do to dive into it and experience it in accord with the liturgical life of the church? So. That's what we're going to cover today so that we can have a great Advent, even though it's going to be the shortest Advent you can have, but we still want to make it as fruitful as possible. Back in a minute. Hi, this is Dr. Tom Curran, and you know me as the host of Sound Insight. I am also letting folks know that as a realtor licensed in the state of Washington and in Idaho, I love serving Catholic families and others who are discerning a move for yourselves. It's much more than buying or selling a home. It's discerning a whole new life. If that's something that you would find uh, a help in, if I could be of service to you, please be in touch. You can find out more at drtomcurran.com. drtomcurran.com. Welcome back to the program. I've been so, it's the word caught up, hung up, focused, that I feel like I, I don't want to say quite failed in my duty, but I do feel it as a stewardship. I sense it as a responsibility to kind of bring out into the open some of the formation that I've received. And in particular, what, doing that in a way that you can apply to your life. The fact that we're in the Advent season is worth noting. It's worth reflecting upon. What's this season all about? And so today on the program, going to unpack this reality that we have just launched into a new liturgical year. And just as I get started, I'm going to say two things. The first is yesterday I had promised to say a prayer for those who are in a situation of being in, in hurt or pain or unforgiveness related to uh, someone having sinned against them. And the context, of course, was this crisis of abuse where there are many victim survivors in our midst. There are those who have experienced, uh, are, are in a state of sexual trauma, and it leaves them in a place of woundedness or in a place of a lack of forgiveness and even an unwillingness to forgive. And so in my book called Confession, I um, wrote a prayer that was connected to this aspect of forgiveness, which is um, talked about in the Catechism in its teaching on the Our Father, where it says, as we forgive those who uh, trespass against us. And it's like, what about those times where we can't? Because the, the Catechism is very wise here. The Catechism says in 2843 that it is impossible not to feel or to forget an offense against us. Did you hear that? That's such a striking, striking sentence. It is not possible for us not to feel or to forget an offense when someone sins against us. And, and that's what happens. However, the Catechism goes on to say that the heart that offers itself to the Holy Spirit turns injury into compassion and purifies the memory 
in transforming the hurt into intercession. That is one of the most striking paragraphs in the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Paragraph 2843. The heart that offers itself to the Holy Spirit turns injury into compassion. And again, this isn't just any old energy, injury. It's when someone has hurt us, when we are the victims of someone else's sins. Injury can be turned into compassion. And there's no human way for us to do that. No human way that I can see where there is a suffering with that is connected with that kind of injury and hurt into intercession. I mean, really, that's the Maria Goretti network, uh, that that St. Maria Goretti, and the this whole reality of somehow that uh, hurt can be turned into an act of interceding. And again, it's a mysterious thing, and I don't, I don't want to go too far into it today, because it's really not the theme of the program, but I did promise a prayer. So I'm going to begin by saying a prayer, and in this prayer, I use the name Jim to refer to the person who has sinned against me. So I'm going to speak this in a personal way. And there isn't any Jim I know out there. I'm not talking, this isn't a real Jim, but Jim stands for the person who has sinned against me. So I'm going to um, use that in a way for you uh, to bring before the Lord a wound, a hurt that exists in your life connected to the sin of someone else. They may have hurt you by their words their sarcasm, by their vitriol, their mean statements, their hurtful statements. Maybe it was by their deeds where they physically harmed you or betrayed you in some way. Maybe it was by their omissions where they failed you by not doing what they ought to have done. In whatever ways they have hurt you, wounded you, sinned against you, and brought about this injury, brought about this hurt, we can turn to the Holy Spirit and offer our hearts. We can turn to the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, you do what I can't. You please do in me what I cannot do on my own strength. And because the Lord knows, the Lord knows that on our own, guess what? It is not in our power not to feel or to forget an offense. It's not that time heals all wounds. It doesn't. It might mean that there's deep scars and deep uh, scabs that cover over the the hurt that's there. But that doesn't mean that real healing has taken place. And so I have here a prayer that I'm beginning with, and, and I share it as a prayer for anyone who has been the victim of someone else's sin. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Holy Spirit of God, help me. I am full of hateful thoughts, anger, resentment, and even worse, towards my offender. You know what he said and did to me. I don't know how to get beyond it. You want me to forgive him, but I don't know how, and I don't really want to. I know I'm supposed to be merciful, but I don't know how to get there. I don't want mercy shown to him. Please, Holy Spirit, 
I offer you my heart with everything that is in it. Take my heart. I offer it to you now. I give you every moment I have ever spent with my offender. Even those moments when I was a victim of his sinful behavior. Every memory, every image, every thought I have ever had, I give over to you. I release it. I release them, one and all, into your hands. Please, Holy Spirit, gently heal the wounds in my heart. Transform my heart, one thought and one memory at a time. Wash over me your consoling grace. Minister to me your peace. Jesus, come through the gift of your Spirit and be my divine physician, the dear physician of my soul, my memory, my imagination, even down to the cellular level, to the very level of the, the, the genes and the DNA that make up my body. Every aspect of my being that has been traumatized or impacted by these misdeeds. Please, Lord, I say yes to you. I open myself to you. And in any ways that I'm stuck, where I don't want to, I don't know how to, I don't feel the freedom to, where I am blind and in darkness regarding how to, open myself to you, trust you, say yes to you, Jesus. Please, come through those locked doors. Come through those locked doors just as you did on Easter Sunday night. And show me your wounds. Show me your wounds, Jesus. And speak the words again that you did to, the, to, the, uh, to your apostles and disciples locked in the upper room for fear. When you said, peace be with you. And so I pray for that, Lord. I pray for that peace. And Lord, I ask that you would take me by the hand and lead me through the process of healing that you have in store for me. Please let your mercy triumph in my heart. I need you. I am lost without you. I thank you in advance for all you will do to set me free free to receive your healing touch and free to extend your mercy to others, even to my offender. I don't know how you will do it, but I trust you. Amen. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So there you go. That's a, uh, that's a prayer, and to be honest with you, uh, what, what did I just do there? I did it actually twice. Discern the, it is the church's uh, obligation in every age, it is the church's duty in every age to read the signs of the times and interpret them in the light of the gospel. Essentially, it's the call that we have, we who are members of the church and therefore are an expression of the church, 
we are called upon to be open to the Spirit, to be moved, to be prompted, to be led by the Spirit, to take action. And so at the beginning of this program, even though I have an outline here on the program, for the, for the entire program, which is to reflect on the theology of Advent, well, the first <laughs> insight into the reality of Advent is that it has something to do with discerning this moment in time. Therefore, tapped right into the sense of, well, reading the signs of the right here and now. And one of the signs in front of me was, oh, look at that. On my desk next to my microphone was my book on confession. And it was still opened. It was turned upside down, face down, but opened to the page with the prayer in it, the prayer that I just read to you. And so literally, as I got started in the program, I'm like, I think I'm supposed to pray this prayer right now. Not like, oh, goodness, it's something that was left over from yesterday's program. But there was a, a now moment. There was a sense of right now, the Lord wants me to pray this prayer. And so I did. I led up to it, and then I prayed the prayer. But as I was reading the prayer, I felt prompted to shift a couple of things. Like I mentioned, I was going to say a guy named Jim, and I changed the name Jim to Offender, one who has offended me. And so I thought, oh, this is just on the spot in the moment. It wasn't something that I had, you know, forethought. It was just as I was literally trying to be open to the Spirit, as I read a prayer, prayed a prayer that was about being open to the Spirit. Well, as I'm reading the prayer, as I'm praying this prayer, I felt prompted to move beyond the prayer. And so somewhere in the middle of my prayer, my written prayer, I just closed my eyes and just went with it. I just prayed spontaneously as I attempted to follow the Spirit's lead in the praying itself. So my mention of Jesus as the divine physician and that whole section around that was not in the book. It was just something that I felt prompted to do. And then I finished the prayer. Now, I go ahead and I share that with you. Hopefully, you understand why. It's because in our life of faith, if we are truly going to live as Christians, namely anointed ones, followers of Jesus Christ, and we're anointed by his Spirit, the living Lord, who lives in our hearts, lives in the core of our beings, this Holy Spirit will prompt us, nudge us, move us. And it is our call to be docile, to be available, to be receptive, to be willing to be led, to be movable, right? That Those are all ways of trying to say, I'm yielding to the Spirit. Holy Spirit, you go first. I'll follow you. And whether that shows up in prayer or that shows up in how we spend our day, oh, how we spend our time. And that's not only how we spend our time in our whole lives or in this year or in this Advent. It's also in the here and now, in our today. We have to be open to the Holy Spirit, prompting us, giving us those nudges. Sometimes it'll become very clear. Maybe you'll hear a reading at Mass. Maybe it'll be something somebody says or something somebody does, and you notice it, and you take a cue from that. Well, that's what I just did. I share that with you as a 
is a kind of mini example of the reality of what Advent is all about, discerning the Spirit's lead as he leads us into time, the time of our here and now. We'll be back in a minute with more Sound Insight. Welcome back to Sound Insight. It's Tom Curran. And in this section of the program, and likely for the remainder, unless the Spirit leads me elsewhere, (laughs) I'm going to talk about the theme of Advent. It's a new liturgical year. You may have had a priest who said to you on Sunday, Happy New Year, or had that announced. Because the even though we have a calendar year that begins on January 1st, we have a liturgical year that begins, well, last Sunday. And it's, a, it's considered a new liturgical year. So, as you know, there are seasons in the liturgical calendar, right? It begins with Advent, and then we go to Christmas, and then... Uh, the next uh, season we bump into is called Ordinary Time, uh, which is kind of an in-between, right? It's an in-between season until you have Lent, beginning with Ash Wednesday, and then you have Easter, uh, which ends, you know, obviously it begins on Easter Sunday and then goes to Pentecost Sunday. And then you have, again, Ordinary Time, which will then extend all the way through till the end of the liturgical year. And, you know, it's, uh, it's something that we experience as new every year. It's a beginning. It's a starting over. It's a starting again. But it's starting the same route. You know, it's like playing Monopoly, right? You go all the way around the board. Once you've made it all the way around, you're back to go. You're back to, to start. Uh, and you're back to the starting line, back to go. And you go through it all again. And even though you, you take that trip around the Monopoly board again, it's different, right? There's a different scenario. Now someone owns some of those properties. Maybe you do. <laughs> Every time around, it's the same board, but there's a different reality that is happening. And that's actually a uh, Monopoly board. isn't quite as theological as the way that many profound theologians in our tradition, doctors of the church, have talked about the reality of time. That time is something that looks like a line, right? You think of time like the timeline. There's the past behind me, and there's the future in front of me. And you're walking along this timeline, and it seems like it's a straight path. But on the other hand, you have this sense of time as involved a repetition, like time is a circle. And so what is it? Is time a line or is time a circle? Yes. <laughs> the liturgical season is running from beginning to end, but guess what? When you get to the end, you've arrived back at your beginning. And that actually was expressive of the reality of creation and uh, its path, God's providential shepherding of creation. It was called, uh, theologically, the concepts are creation is this egressus or exitus, the flowing forth from, the exiting, the moving out from God. And, and the arc is as uh, creation moved forth from God, it then had a kind of falling, a turning away from God. And so this falling needed to be turned back so that at the bottom of the circle— you have Jesus, the Word of God, who came from God, in order to return, to get creation turned back 
to God. And so there's this uh, regressus or this reditus, this turning towards, this return back to God. So the idea of creation going forth from God has this arc to it that then circles back around and at the, at the bottom, at the furthest distance away from God, instead of uh, the peeling off, the splintering off and heading away from God, you have this turn back to God, and that's the work of the Holy Spirit. So flowing forth from God is the work of the Father, creation. And then you have the act of stopping the fall and the turn back to God. That's the redemption. And then the movement towards God, back to the source, is the work of sanctification. That's the work of the Spirit. One last thing is at the bottom of this circle, when you get from the top, you circle all the way around, halfway around. Instead of the turn back to God, sometimes theologians would talk about this, again, this kind of like an S, this continued turn downwards, away from God. And that's the tendency of the fallen world towards nothingness. God created everything from nothing, and in our fallen tendencies, not in our God-given tendencies, but in our fallen tendencies, we tend towards nothing. And you stop and think about that. It's a kind of a really a profound idea here, is that God has uh, not only halted the, the fall of creation away from him, but has turned it back and through redemption set it free, set us free, to be able to bring us back to God. And that process of sanctification is that as we approach God in nearness, we will also approach God in likeness. That there is that sense of you're getting close to the origin, you're getting close to the source, you're getting and you're getting close to the heat, <laughs> the, the, the heat of infinite holiness, uh, the fire of God's perfection and his infinite majesty. Guess what? You're going to sense that. So there's that kind of like as you get closer to the fire, there's that sense of purification, sanctifying, the becoming holy. That happens as we come back to God. So that idea, that theological concept of understanding creation, redemption, and sanctification has been also mapped out in terms of a line so you have this timeline, you know, the time of creation, the time of redemption, the time of sanctification, but you can see it in terms of this sense of, oh, this line is also a circle. And so in our liturgical calendar, what do we see? We see there is a beginning to the liturgical calendar, there's Advent, and then we move through to the time of God's visiting among us, and there we have uh, the time of Christmas, and then we have the time of the, that's the incarnation, and then we have the time of God's setting us free, his redemption, and so that's, we have the time of Lent leading up to the the, the triduum, the, the three days of uh, beginning with uh, Holy Thursday evening, Good Friday, Holy Saturday, and the Easter Sunday, and then in the time of Jesus' being among us, risen from the dead in his glorified state, he then ascends to the Father. And then there's the coming of the Spirit in, uh, in Pentecost Sunday. 
And then we move forward through the rest of the year in ordinary time as a time of sanctification, where we are sanctified we, as we walk out our daily lives through, quote-unquote, ordinary time, which is time that is ordered towards God, which is time where we experience the extraordinary coming of God into our lives, now the journeying of our lives back to God. And as you move towards the end of the liturgical year, you see messages in the scriptures, readings, and in the different Sundays leading up to the final Sunday in the liturgical calendar, you see references to what? The end of time, the consummation of all things, the four last things, death, judgment, heaven, and hell. On the last Sunday of ordinary time, you have Christ the King, the ruler of the universe. His coming again will put a cap on the, the reality that God, who created all, will become all in all at the final judgment of all things. So what you have mapped out, oh, and then guess what? You start it all over again. <laughs> Ta-da! So it's, you start it all over again with the reality of, uh, of Advent. And so here we are. We're back at the beginning. And so uh, there's something else, though, that I want to point us to, and that's this idea of life in time. Life in time, when we think about time as a line, and we think about even that concept of uh, exiting, exitus and egressus, or the regressus and the reditus, this circular movement of coming forth from God and the turn back to God and the the becoming more like God and then the consummation by returning to the source, that this circulation of love, this circulation is something that we are invited into. And it is literally the inner life of the Trinity. Uh, the You can even map this out in a Trinitarian form. The Father generates the Son. The Son gives himself back to the Father. And the mutuality of the giving and the receiving uh, spirates the, the one who is the testimony, the testament of the uh, the fruitfulness of the giving of the Father and the Son to each other in this circulation of love, and that's the Spirit. And so that give and receive, that give, that exchange, that mutuality, that reciprocity, all of that, that's what's ahead of us. That's where we're headed. That's the ultimate reality that we will not only witness to, but become participants in. Whoa, that's big deal stuff. People might deny it, people might ignore it, people might disagree with it, but you know what? That's reality. <laughs> that is reality. And that's where we are headed. Ooh, time. We're headed into the future. The future. So, some theologians refer to God as the absolute future. The absolute future, meaning the future of all things without exception, without condition, is God. God is the absolutely unavoidable one. We might choose to avoid God in our thinking, in our planning, in, in our own ways of looking at things, in our own commitments and values. Well, you know what? <laughs> does not impact the place of God in reality or in our reality. God is the absolute future of all things. We will one day encounter God without question. Uh, stripped away from all of the blindness, we will see God. And so this dimension of time, is, is it about our approaching God? Is it about our going back towards God? And that's often how we look at it. 
But Advent, Advent, which is the first liturgical season, says something else. Advent, you would think, because it is a reference to the beginning, you would think that it is connected to creation, and you'd be thinking correctly. It's right. There is a, a, an intimate connection between the reality of Advent and the reality of creation. And we'll talk about what that is in a couple of minutes. But the, the name of Advent, the meaning of the name Advent, is not going. It's coming. Advent, to come to. And so Advent is about the dimension of time that is not about us going to God, not about us going back to God. It's about God coming to us. Time, even as much as it is our journey towards God, it is even more the dimension of God's journeying to us. Time is less our journey towards God, our approaching God, and more God approaching us. The absolute future, who is God, is coming at you. He's coming towards you. He's coming to you. That's the first liturgical season. And there's a lot here. You know, so in Advent, our theme regarding time is not moving. It's waiting. And it's not so much, uh, it's not so much waiting around, but rather, what are we awaiting? Who are we awaiting? And what can we do to ready ourselves as we await the coming of God among us, Emmanuel? Well, let's dive into how the church has structured the Advent season. This is Tom Kern today on the program. I'm now reflecting on, and will for the rest of this program and probably into tomorrow, talk more about the theology of Advent and its relationship to our lives and how we see our lives. So, as you know, it's our new liturgical year. Happy New Year. And when you think about something that is strange, is that it differs from uh, the new year on the calendar. So if I said to you on the count of three, one, two, three, what date is New Year's? Go. New Year's Day. January 1st. It's always January 1st. Okay, are you ready? On the count of three, tell me the date of the beginning of Advent. One, two, three, go. And you'd probably have to think about it and say, okay, what's today? It's the 5th, so that was the 4th, 3rd, 2nd. It was December 2nd, and you'd be right. All right, on the count of three, what is Advent next? When does Advent begin next year? Go, one, two, three. <laughs> and you'd have to look it up. You'd have to Google it. And what's funny is, is that even though it is the new year, the celebration of the new year, it, it changes every year. Well, does that mean that Advent is somehow just unhinged, unhooked, not grounded? No, no, it is. It's fixed. Just like New Year's Day is fixed on January 1st on the, uh, the Roman calendar, on the calendar that we follow, Advent is fixed, but not fixed on the day of the year. It is fixed in a relationship. There's a fixed relation to a fixed date. Did you get that? So January 1st, New Year's Day on the, on the secular calendar is a fixed date. January 1st. Advent, the beginning of the liturgical year, 
is not a fixed date, but a fixed relationship to a fixed date. What is that? I'll tell you in a minute. Hey, this is Dr. Tom Curran, the host of Sound Insight, but also a realtor serving wonderful folks like you in the state of Washington and in Idaho. I've had the privilege and pleasure of helping dozens of families in the last two and a half years discern and find a, a strategy, a path, and a plan to help their families find a whole new life in eastern Washington and northern Idaho. If I could be of service to you in that, I would love to. Please reach out, drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran talking about Advent. And I just mentioned that, hmm, do you ever think about that? Why is Advent, the beginning, the date of Advent, why does it change every year? Well, it changes because it's not a fixed date, but it's a fixed relationship to a fixed date. What is that fixed date? Well, of course, I say of course, you should, you should know this. It's Christmas, right? December 25th is the fixed date. And we identify the beginning of Advent through a fixed relationship. And what's that fixed relationship? Well, it's called, uh, the, the fixed relationship is what? Four Sundays. So you go back four Sundays from December 25th, and you'll arrive at the date of the beginning of Advent. So Advent is marked by a reality that's fixed, the relationship to Christmas, and we have four Sundays, and then however many other days there sits between that fourth Sunday of Advent and Christmas. This year, it's what? Just two days. So after the fourth Sunday of Advent, that's the 23rd, we then have uh, Christmas on the 25th. So what's fixed is the coming of Christ. That's what is the fixed point. Now remember, Advent is about this reality of beginnings, of creation, of going out from, of going forth into. So as we reflect on Advent, we're going to gain more insight into our own beginning. Our beginning as creation, our beginning as humanity, our beginning as, guess what, our own individual lives. And what we should realize is this, is that the reality that we ought to orient the meaning of our beginning isn't the date of our beginning, the fixed date of our beginning, but rather the fixed relationship to Jesus Christ. What is fixed is not so much our beginning, but Christ's coming. It's the coming of Christ that is the fixed point. But the first liturgical season of the year is not called nativity or birth or the coming to birth, but Advent, the coming. In other words, we begin with, not with Jesus' birth, not even with our birth, but it begins with us being here in the world in a situation, in a situation where we are awaiting a coming or a dawning. And this actually has a theological uh, uh, explanation. One of the, if you take a look at the various ways of understanding the theology of creation, and it, how do you understand the reality of creation? One way, 
So not the total way, because creation is a mystery. But one of the themes that you'll read in the great theologians is that creation, the beginning of all things, God created all things, has a relationship with the incarnation, with the coming to birth of the Son of God on earth as a man. And that is this, that creation is for the sake of the incarnation. Did you hear that? That Jesus isn't some kind of unexpected intruder, uh, some like, okay, a fixer-upper of a mistake and an interloper of a God who is at a distance. But rather, the world that God created was designed, was made, precisely to be a receiver, a welcomer of the very creator. That the world is designed precisely so that Christ can appear in it. Now, isn't that striking? So that, in other words, you're not going to understand Advent. You're not going to understand the meaning of this liturgical season. It's called Advent because it has its meaning not in itself. It has its meaning only with regards to the coming. The coming of the Son of God, onto earth. So all by itself, there is no meaning. Its meaning is found in relationship to Christ. Anybody see where this is going? If the world is designed so that Christ can appear in it, guess what? You're part of the world. You're also <laughs> created by God. And so you, your heart, was made for God. Your heart was made so that God could appear in it. St. Augustine, you've created us for yourselves. You've made us for yourselves. And our hearts are restless until they rest in you or until you come and dwell in it. Until you dwell in our hearts, there's this restlessness. Our happiness, our fulfillment, and the core of our being is something that the world can't give. Only the Lord can. So know that. Know that people that are walking around you in this world and they're talking about not needing Christianity or not needing Jesus Christ or they seem perfectly happy and, and fulfilled in their own lives and they have rejected religion and God and, and they're just walking on their own path. Well, you know what? They too were created by God. They too were designed by God. And they too live in Advent reality where the world that they are, as part of the world that God created, has a fixed relationship with Jesus Christ. Literally, they are an Advent people. They're in a state of waiting, even if they don't know it, even if they don't acknowledge it, even if they deny it. They too are in a state of waiting, waiting for the coming of Christ into their lives. That's how God made everyone. And so let's take a closer look at what the church is teaching us through this Advent season when the beginning of all things, including ourselves, are like Advent. That is, we're made to have Christ come, and Christ is coming. He's coming towards us. He comes towards every life. He comes towards every single life. He knocks on the door of every life. Well, what is the situation of us prior to Christ's coming? What is the situation of the world prior to Christ's coming? Well, let's take a look at the wisdom of the church, 
with regards to the celebration of Advent. Well, when is Advent? What is our situation when we are quote-unquote born? Well, I'm looking outside, and you know what? As I record this, it's dark. You know, guess you ever, notice how early it gets dark? It's dark. Well, if you think it's dark now, come back tomorrow. You know what you'll discover? It is darker. <laughs> There's less light. And so Advent begins at a time of year where it's dark and getting darker. And you know what? It's not just that. It's also cold. Did you feel that yesterday? It was cold, like frost, cold. Well, you think that was bad? Stick around. You know what? It's going to get colder. And guess what? Welcome to the world. Welcome to your situation in life, your situation in your relationships in your life, your situation in, in the situation of those of all that you love in this world. Things are difficult, and they're going to get harder until he comes. What are we hoping for? Well, well part of what we're hoping for is the end of the, the dark getting darker and the cold getting colder. And so let me ask you, what's life like when Christ has yet to be born into it, a situation, a relationship, a human heart. What is that life like? Well, listen to what Pope Benedict said in one of his Advent, Advent uh, reflections. <clears throat> he says, In Advent, the liturgy often repeats and reassures us, as though seeking to defeat our mistrust, that God is coming, he comes to be with us. In each one of our situations, he comes to live among us, to live with and in us. He comes to fill the distances that divide and separate us. He comes to reconcile us with himself and with one another. He comes in the history of humanity to knock on the door of every man and woman of goodwill, to offer individuals, families, and peoples, the gift of fraternity, concord, and peace. That's so powerful. Isn't that powerful? The liturgy repeats and assures us as though seeking to defeat our mistrust that God is coming. And, and literally, the, what I just shared with you in a long time, <laughs> Pope Benedict shared very beautifully and powerfully in this Advent reflection from about 10 years ago. And it's that the Lord wants to be with us. He longs to be with us in all of these situations. And you know what? It's hard for us to do that. And so the church is going to help us understand how to live the time of Advent. And so when we come back, I want to reflect on, hopefully we'll see if I can get through three or four. I've got four different ways of relating to the time of Advent. I'm not sure I'll be able to get through all four in the last segment of the program, but we'll see how far I get. I'll do that in just a minute on Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. Please come back as I continue to share about the theology of Advent. Welcome back to Sound Insight. So I mentioned four meanings of time in relationship to the theology and let's call it the spirituality of Advent. And so that'll help us understand what to do to pay attention to uh, what it is the Holy Spirit is doing in us, what the Holy Spirit wants to do 
in our lives through understanding the reality of Advent. It's a time of waiting. It's a time of alertness. It's a time of seeking. And it's a time of welcoming. And so these four meanings of time, waiting, alertness, seeking, and welcoming, are actually connected to signs and symbols and different scriptural references that are part of the season of Advent. Hopefully, again, as I do this, what you'll see is that the liturgical season is much more than just something that was sort of blithely or very simplistically put together by the church. But there's such a richness here that if we pay attention to what the church is teaching us through the liturgical calendar and through the season of Advent itself, it really makes us stop and pause. Do I really acknowledge the centrality of Jesus Christ for the one who is the meaning and purpose of the Alpha and the Omega, the meaning and the purpose of my very existence, of my marriage. The meaning of my marriage, Jesus Christ. The meaning of my family life, Jesus Christ. The most prominent, primary, and uh, ultimate thing that I am to bring to my kids, Jesus Christ. What it is that I ought to be contributing to the world, Jesus Christ. What it is that I ought to proclaim from the housetops and the rooftops as the meaning of all things, the purpose and goal, the life, the truth, the goodness of all things, Jesus Christ, the person of Christ, and him alone, and welcoming him into our lives. And you know what? He's coming. He's coming. And apart from Christ, guess what? Darkness, coldness, hardness. That's life. That's the world. That's where things are headed. Apart from a further, deeper welcoming of Christ into our lives. So that's what we can do during Advent. Okay, so a time of waiting. Hope waits. Hope is the uh, the virtue that's most intimately connected with Advent, is hope. It's that expectant confidence, that expectant confidence. We often think about expectant faith as a, a living trust, as an expectancy that, that the Lord is going to move. Expecting confidence is the Lord is coming. So hope waits. And so one way of understanding Advent is to focus on the Blessed Mother. Because if you think about Advent, who is the key figure of the reality of Advent, waiting for the coming into the world of Jesus Christ? Well, that would be the Blessed Mother, (laughs) who is pregnant and waiting to bring Christ to birth. So Listen to what, again, Pope Benedict shared in one of his Advent reflections. To live this Advent period more authentically and fruitfully, the liturgy exhorts us to look at Mary, most holy, and to undertake spiritually with her the path to the cave of Bethlehem. When God knocked on the door of her youth, she received him with faith and love. In a few days, we will contemplate her in the luminous mystery of her immaculate conception. Let us be attracted by her beauty, reflection of divine glory, so that the God that is coming will find in each one of us a good and open heart, which he can fill with his gifts. How beautiful is that? So to to look at what's a, a one way of understanding Advent, well, to undertake spiritually with the Blessed Mother the path to the cave of Bethlehem. If you stop and think about that path, it wasn't a pleasant, easy path. 
She wasn't just like, hey, let's go for a stroll, Joseph. No, they were heading back to uh, Bethlehem for this census uh, that they uh, left Egypt, and here they come back to uh, back to their homeland, where, remember now, Herod had attempted to kill Jesus. Now Herod is gone now, but here they are coming back. And, uh, and, and what, what does this also say? It's a time of waiting, when God knocked on the door for youth. You know what? That's a beautiful. We need to hear more of that. We need to hear about the God who's knocking on the doors of young people today. I need to trust in that. I need to ask for that. I need to wait for that. That the Lord is knocking on the door of my kids' youth. Youths? My kids' youth. <laughs> and so, know that. Trust that. Ask for that. Seek that. Those are all different ways of experiencing time in Advent. But hope waits. And when you talk about hope waiting, what we're experiencing is like the, ex- uh, the expectant mother, the Blessed Mother. There's a presence of Jesus before he is born into the world. There's a presence. And obviously, the Blessed Mother being pregnant would be visibly showing the presence of Jesus Christ in the world, but in a hidden way. And let's say by analogy, God is present in the world. There's a presence that has begun, but not yet fully present. God will one day become most present in an unavoidably present way. But the theme of Advent is what? A hidden presence that is coming out into the open, an emergence from concealment. And so when you think about what it does to a woman to have a child come to birth in her, and there's everyone that wants and waits for this new birth, but the changes, the stretching, the bearing within her of this new life as, it, as the baby grows, takes on greater and greater proportions and feels the new life, there's this preciousness. There's this love of the new life. And yet, the manifestation of that presence isn't without some real pain and suffering, without some real stretching. And so we should expect that in our preparation for the coming out into the open in more revealing ways of the presence of the Lord who is here but may be concealed from us. Praying, Lord, emerge from your concealment. We might be asked to be stretched and we might be asked to undergo some labor pains in order to have that happen. And so walk that path with the Blessed Mother. That's a very powerful way to live your Advent. So that's Advent as a time of waiting. And the principal figure there is the Blessed Mother. But it's also a time of alertness. Hope is not only waiting, hope waits, but hope is also attentive. Hope is alert. Think of the shepherds. The shepherds were the one, well, frankly, whom the world considered the least. They were left out. You think of, uh, you think of uh, David, and you know, who becomes king, And his father, when Samuel approaches him and says, hey, bring your sons, I'm going to anoint the next king. And he brings all of his sons and he leaves out David. David was the eighth son. And so everything was perfect. He had seven sons and bringing them all and none of them were the anointed one. And he even forgot about David. 
David was tending the sheep, the shepherd. And so, uh, what is hope? Hope is attentive. Listen to, again, Pope Benedict. Therefore, Advent is par excellence, the time of hope, in which believers in Christ are invited to remain in vigilant and active expectation, nourished by prayer and by a concrete, concrete commitment of love. May Christ's approaching nativity fill the hearts of all Christians with joy, serenity, and peace. So, Advent, it's a time of alertness. Advent is also a time of seeking. Hope seeks. Think of the wise men, right? The wise men, they followed the light they had. They followed their best sense. They were on a journey in order to come to revere the king and to offer their gifts. And boy, I could go more and more into this, but I won't today because of the shortness of my time. But I want you to just hold on to that, that the wise men are also for us great uh, figures for us to meditate on. And then Advent is also a time of welcoming, that hope not only seeks, but hope welcomes. Remember the journey that the Blessed Mother took with Joseph. The time of her, uh, the time of Jesus' delivery is at hand, and they show up at the inn, and there is no room. No room at the inn. No space to welcome the coming to birth of Jesus in their midst. And that's why they ended up in the stable, or in the reference of Pope Benedict in the cave, uh, which would have functioned as a stable. And so we see this idea of welcoming of having space to receive. When we're preparing the way for the Lord, it's going to mean making space and not crowding out. Now this actually all maps out not only with the theme of the inn, but also with the candles, right? There are four candles. You have the three purple candles and you have that one, that pink candle. It's actually a rose colored candle. And that pink candle, the rose one, is on the third Sunday of Advent, which is called Gaudete Sunday, or Rejoice, which is a sign of welcoming, right in the midst of a time of waiting. Well, we're out of time, so I'll have to dig further into that tomorrow, and I'll do that on Sound Insight. Thanks so much for listening. Pray God's blessings on your day, and ask your prayers for me as well.